and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a chef on the podcast talking about her passion for food sustainability and how she was once denied a cooking job at a restaurant to later managing that same kitchen. She is a chef, restaurateur, food advocate, and you can watch her on the new show, Bobby's Triple Threat. It's Tiffany Derry. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? I am great. And we are so excited to have you on. We're going to be talking about Bobby's triple threat um, in just a little bit. But you are a Texas native and you come from a huge family. Your grandmother had 11 children. So actually, first of all, I'm curious, how many first cousins do you have? Yes, I have 50. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of us. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do you think like that robust family dynamic really shaped who you are? It is an intricate part of of who I am. You know, my first best friends were my cousins, right? And Mm -hmm. we grew up together and we played together. We got in trouble together. And so (laughs) like, you know, the the family, like family for me is so important. And my grandmother used to always be the matriarch. She would sit us all down. She would talk to us. We would cook. We would eat together. We would work together. And so it, it it was pretty special. And I didn't realize that everyone else didn't have that. Like, I didn't realize (laughs) that everyone didn't have a large family growing up because that's who I was around. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I have a small family. So like, like 51 first cousins is just wild to me to even think about. But that's so fun that you you had that built in dynamic and playmates and all that good stuff. And it sounds like your grandmother really played a, a significant role in your life. When it comes to like cooking, how did she kind of encourage that as a passion beyond just an obligation to, to feed this whole family. Yeah, she never viewed it as an obligation, seriously. she It was love for her. Um, so my grandmother, for the most part, was a single mother. And we lived at the time, or my mom lived at the time in Louisiana, in Port Allen, Louisiana. And that's where everyone was raised. We had a farm. My grandmother actually raised her two brothers. So it was a really small family. And then she went to a really large family. So (laughs) we all grew up working in the farm. We all grew up, you know, to where you would take the mustard greens, you would go ahead and and de-stem them. And then it goes in a big old pot and we couldn't go play until after that was done. So (laughs) she truly helped us to understand that, Food is special, food should be enjoyed, and that it is a love that you do for your loved ones. Do you remember the first thing that she taught you to cook? The first thing, you know, no, because when I was young, I really was only interested in eating. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. (laughs) I just needed to do whatever this chore was that we had to do so that I can go play. At that time, I loved playing basketball, volleyball. Like I was outside. I was Mm -hmm. I was rolling around in the dirt, climbing a tree. Like those were the things that I enjoyed (laughs) doing. And I enjoyed every time it was time to eat. Um, But one. One of the things I loved eating was greens and gumbo. Like that has always been my love language. Anything with a big 
pot of something simmering and greens. Oh gosh. It's still to this day. Like I, I serve it at the restaurant. I can't walk by without going, mmm, that looks good. <laughs> uh, yeah. My stomach just growled. I think, <laughs> you know, thinking about that. So if you weren't cooking, you know, at a young age, wh- at what point did that kind of start becoming more of an interest for you? About 12. You know, I was 12 years old when I started to become a little more interested in it, right? Like my mom, she is an excellent cook. She is probably of all her sisters and brothers to me, because, you know, they, we'll fight about this. Um, mm. <laughs> she is the the best. And part of what made her special um, is the fact that she didn't just cook Southern food. So my mom, she does hair. She would go to the shop. Someone would bring her something like manoodle. And then she would come home and she would make it for us, right? So I had an opportunity to enjoy things outside of just my Southern roots. So I think that's what made her such a dynamic cook. And she added those little touches to her food that we all enjoy. You mentioned, you know, the greens and the gumbo. What what other staples um, were always kind of on the dinner table? And, and are there any, I mean, which ones do you still, you know, cook so often today? Yeah, rice and gravy is like my jam. So mm-hmm. because we're such a large family, rice was on the table every day. Like, and sometimes breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? Like, <laughs> like rice helped uh, expand the stomach a little bit, which makes you feel full. So every time we cooked, we had a pot of rice to go with something. And you couldn't, you couldn't just put meat or greens on your plate. You had to put rice. Like that had to be a part of it. Like they were very strict about this. But to this day, I still cook lots of like braised meats with gravy and mm. I still eat a lot of rice. And um, I am a crazy rice head. Like I want rice for morning with bacon and eggs and rice. <laughs> I want rice for lunch. I even do crispy rice salads. I want Ooh. rice for dessert. Like <laughs> give me that. I mean, seriously, I am like crazy addicted to rice. It's so cool. And I love it. And I love having others taste it. And they're like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> is there, I mean, do you do anything special to your rice that makes it, you know, different or, or are you just like, you know, just having it around all the time? So I grew up in Beaumont, Texas and okay. in Beaumont, we have rice fields. So very much rice, right? So, mm-hmm. but as I've gotten older and my mom too, um, we love jasmine rice now. Mm-hmm. Like lone grain was what I grew up with, but jasmine rice is just so fragrant. And like, honestly, I smell it cooking. I'm like, oh, I can eat a bowl of rice. You know, like, <laughs> I told you I'm crazy about this, right? But I mean, now I like it in different forms. I love fried rice because I think it's one of those things you can quickly do at home. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're all looking for more time. So if I can make a quick stir fry with some leftovers and some rice, that's my go-to. If I just want, like, I got a little sweet tooth and I just want a little something. I may take a little coconut milk, finish the rice with it and give a little sugar and, you know, throw some fruit on top. And then now I have a, a beautiful dessert. So yes, rice goes with everything. It's always in style. Never going out of season. <laughs> I love that. No, we, we cook a lot of rice in, in our apartment as well. And I, I love the jasmine rice as well. Like, because like you said, it's so fragrant. Like you can smell, like get excited when it's, it's starting to cook. You're like, oh, okay. It's, it's going to be so good. Um, You know, you talked about your, your life on the farm and, and obviously farm to table is a very buzzy term in the food world right now, but it was really a lifestyle for you, you know, growing up. You mentioned that you had to go, you know, pick the greens. What what other things do you remember about those years growing up on the farm? Tons of fig trees. We had fresh figs and Ooh. I don't really remember 
as a child having fresh figs. Like, I don't remember us eating them fresh. Mm. My grandmother preserved everything. So we would always have, like, preserved figs, preserved peaches. We would do watermelon rind, and she would cook Mm. that down with sugar, and we would eat that with biscuits or anything um, on, even pancakes, waffles, anything like that. So... Everything that we would get, she would take it and transform it into something else as well, which I think is beautiful. Uh, and something I still do to this day, like at the restaurant at Ruth Southern Table, we do a watermelon rind preserves with our drop biscuits. And people are like, wait, what is this? Because obviously we all eat the flesh of the watermelon mm-hmm. and then the rind gets thrown away. And I didn't know that my what my grandmother was doing. I didn't realize that that was, you know, just making sure that nothing is thrown away. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing to carry on that tradition and to share it with other people as well. I mean, how did that proximity to your food and and like you said, you know, using every part of it influence your perspective now as a chef? Well, I remember how hard it was. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, like farm work is is hard work Mm -hmm. and overall, we just don't appreciate it enough. Like there are young people growing up who really have no clue how food is grown, right? Like it's in a grocery store. That's where you get it from. Like I I talk to so many who can't tell me the difference between a potato and a tomato. And we're doing them a little (laughs) bit of disservice, right? Like they need to know that someone has sowed this seed, has watered and took care of this and against all odds of rain and sun and storms and all of this just to provide us with some nutrition and substance. And um, I think it's just it's just wonderful. But when you have respect for how things are grown in general, um, you treat it a little different, right? Like you go get that carrot, you're going to use those carrot shavings, the peelings, you're going to use the the actual carrot and you're going to use the the grass or the greens mm-hmm. of the of the of the carrot as well. And so no waste, you know, because someone worked really hard for that. And if you would have <laughs> grown it yourself, you would have seen. Yeah, you would have probably felt the same way. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, my dad was a, a wheat farmer and I say all the time, like he worked every single day of wow. his life until he retired. You know, there's always... On a farm, there's always something to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the concept of seasonality, I think, can get a little diluted when we have we have the produce year round at the grocery store. But growing up on the farm, taking advantage of what is available, what does it mean to you to eat seasonally? I think that is something that we have to continue to push. Um, most people don't realize that food is seasonal just because it's everything at our fingertips, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you want an asparagus... In the wintertime, it's there because they're going to bring it from somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. But when we eat seasonal, it's not about just incredible flavors because honestly, there is nothing like having a tomato in the summertime, right? Like when it's juicy and delicious with a touch of salt. Oh, Uh. God. I (laughs) feel like, oh. Um, But, you know, there's nothing like it. But then you have tomatoes that you could get in the wintertime and they have no flavor. Like Mm -hmm. we're just eating them at that point. Like there's no flavor. So understanding how things will taste seasonally will really, really help, but also understanding how it affects budgets as well, right? When we eat in season, we are oftentimes going to pay less. And then oftentimes it will really go to the people who are more near and closer to you to provide um, for their lifestyle as well, for those farmers. Um, And I think that's what we should be doing in general. 
Well, as we are heading into fall, what sort of seasonal dishes are you looking forward to? Ooh, I love the fall time. You know, it's the pumpkin, sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. Like, love that. And very comforting items. So um, oftentimes I'm looking for braised, right? I want anything that is braised, whether it's lamb shanks, short ribs, Mm. oxtails, you know, all of of the stuff that I feel like I can only eat at this time of the year, which sometimes I sneak it in other times, but it's what I get excited about. Yeah, same. You know, I think your ethos on food waste and sustainability is really critical in this industry. And we've talked a little bit about that, but I would like to spend a little bit more time on that. How were you taught to kind of minimize the food waste growing up? I know you you mentioned the, the watermelon rinds and, and certain things like that, but why does this issue hit so home for you? Well, I think one of the reasons that it's so important that we minimize food waste is because it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, honestly, when you look at our country and all, I mean, we're wasting about 40% of our food that's grown in this country, yet we still have very many so many food insecure areas, right? So um, we have to take a look at what we're doing and we have to say, okay, how much are, are we wasting? And when I think about what my grandmother did and the thought of preserving and, you know, so many other cultures do the same thing. Tomatoes in season, they take them, they can them down, they make marinara, they make sauces, right? Like there's a reason that our families have had developed those systems. And, and now I feel like we're kind of getting away from some of that because of how things are so instant uh, at our fingertips. And so I think by planning for for that food waste, it's, it's critical to making sure that we don't have the waste. What initiatives can restaurant owners and chefs take to, to limit that waste in their kitchens? I think we have to understand first that there will always be waste. Okay. And um, no matter who you are, no matter how great you are with it, it's just going to happen. So knowing that it's going to happen, we plan for it, right? Knowing if I'm going to bring in whole fish, uh, what am I going to do with the bones? I need to make sure I scrape the bones to get that extra piece of, you know, fish that's on there, turn that into something. Maybe I hold all those pieces, you know, for three days and all of a sudden now I make some type of, you know, stuffing with it, or maybe we make some type of dumpling with it, Mm. scraps. But then you have your your actual fillet pieces. What do we do with those bones? Those bones turn to stock, right? So like there's so many things that we can do um, just to make sure that we're using every piece of everything. But we also have to plan for it because our days are so crazy and we often mm-hmm. don't have times to adjust to smaller things. And, and, and I mean that because there's so many large things in our face as restaurant owners throughout our day to day, right? Employee didn't show up. Somebody's sick. My chicken didn't show up at all. And now I'm talking about scraping the bones of the fish. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. (laughs) That's probably like the last thing on your mind at that point, right? Exactly. So we have to just make that a part of our process from the beginning. What about at home? Like what what practices can people implement at home to do the same? Yes. At home, I think one of the things we can do is shop a little bit smaller, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go out and buy two weeks worth of of ingredients, put some in the freezer, you know, because life happens. That day we were going to make that salad, it it may not happen, right? (laughs) And now that salad (laughs) is there and we have so much of everything else. So shop a little bit smaller, plan your meals accordingly as well. And if possible, go ahead and prep it out. Meal prepped 
items, we tend to eat them a little more often than if I had to actually make something every day. So just mm-hmm. small steps is all we're asking. Nothing huge. I'm not telling you to start a campaign with all your friends and tell them how much they're wasting food and, <laughs> and all of that, right? Just small steps, support local, eat seasonal and shop small. Are there any kitchen items or tools that you love that that kind of helps you in in, in reducing that food waste? Mm. Honestly, I'm a chef's knife girl. Like, right. Honestly, <laughs> like that's my favorite. I do love uh, mandolin because it helps to get those shapes and to use those odd pieces. But for a home cook, sometimes it can be a little scary, right? It's it's to have that sharp. So oftentimes, you know, just plan it out. Use what you like. I like a juicer, you know, juicer. Mm-hmm. I can take all my things that are left over and, and put that in or add it into a smoothie. A good blender is necessary. Everybody should have a great blender. Just saying. But yeah. I love my mandolin, but it's so funny that you mentioned that because my, my boyfriend will not touch it. He exactly. calls it the death machine. <laughs> yeah. But you are also very involved in lobbying for sustainable and healthy food policies as well. Can you give an example of how food legislation affects us on an everyday level? Sure. So um, I was a part of the Farm Bill and it's done every five years. And so basically the Farm Bill encompasses a lot of things. One, food, water, but also farmers um, and SNAP programs. Like oftentimes we aren't always talking about some of the, the real policies. And that, that means that there are areas where people need some extra help and some extra support. And so because of all of the work that we've done, and, I, and, and there are so many chefs and so many great uh, lobbyists that were a part of this as well, but we went to DC and met with our local legislative and we had opportunities to talk about what's important to us. And I'll tell you, the first time I did it, I was so nervous. I felt really? like I was ill-prepared for this because I'm like, I'm, I'm a chef. Like I cook in a kitchen, I run restaurants, and now <laughs> I'm about to go talk talk to, you know, someone and I deem them on a level of like, they're making things happen. There are things. Uh, and so I went and my very first one, it was a lady, it was a, her aide and she was from Louisiana. And I was telling her about my family from Port Allen and we just connected in a way. And every single time I found a way to connect. And I felt like that was that was the piece that would keep us together. And so even throughout the years, I've been able to call on different people to help and to understand certain things. And honestly, I think that we all should, whether it be through phone calls, through sending um, emails, signing petitions, all of those things, they are forced to listen to. And so getting involved is important, is very, very important. But I think one of the things, especially when it comes to like SNAP, Understanding that what we're advocating for is allowing people, elderly children, it's not just for working class people. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that majority of the people on SNAP are elderly and children. And sometimes people forget that part of it. And so because of those policies, we were able to keep them um, with food and nutritional items available. Yeah, that's so important. What's the next thing that you think needs to happen to continue you know, pushing you know, those kind of ideas and policies forward? I think it's important to know and understand the people that we are voting for, where they Mm -hmm. stand on issues. Sometimes people say one thing and then when they get in office, they vote another way. And I think we need to hold them accountable, no matter how you decide to vote, just 
understand how your person is voting. And if that, if their vote doesn't align with how you believe yours would, then speak up, be vocal, get involved and understand that it's not just about who's the president, it's about who's local and start there. Your talent, your advocacy is is very admirable. And I know you've told a story before about being denied a, a cooking job at IHOP when you were 15 because they didn't allow women in their kitchen, but later ended up managing that kitchen. That's right. um, yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to gender disparities in the food industry, how do you face those head on? And, and what advice do you have for other women in the industry? Woo, what a loaded topic. And again, I think so much of this has changed for me over the years, right? When I was denied mm-hmm. in the beginning, I didn't really understand it, honestly. You know, I, again, I grew up with my family and I didn't really understand that there was so much injustice. I feel like I was in a little bit of a bubble, right? And mm-hmm. so when they said I couldn't be a cook, I was like, okay, well, what do you have available? Uh-huh. And then there were moments where I realized that I was being passed over for jobs, for opportunities, um, and and things that I was definitely qualify for. Even after the fact, they would tell me I am, but they just wanted, you know, this guy who, you know, boys club. But one thing I've learned over the years now, at my age now, that um, I don't really care what they say. It's a, mm. We have to get to a point where we go after what we want against all odds. And so my mom, she always says that delay does not mean denial. So just because it doesn't happen right away doesn't mean that it won't happen. And so we just have to stay eyes on the prize, work toward whatever it is that we want, keep that goal in mind. You know, I believe in writing things down. And so if I'm writing it down, I'm holding myself accountable. And it also allows me to go back and see how far I've come. I believe that if you're not going to give me a seat at the table, I'll make my own table. We will find a tree and some wood and (laughs) I will invite others to the table and we'll just have a whole nother thing. So I no longer sit and wait around for someone to um, deem me acceptable. I already know I am. And I hope that others start to feel the same way. Absolutely. I mean, how, how do you approach that in your in your own kitchens? Woo. One, um, being transparent, you know, um, it's so important that our employees understand that one, the restaurant business isn't a, a millionaire kind of business, right? Like the margins mm-hmm. are slim. Um, food is fickle. Uh, the production of food right now is going through so many issues. And by bringing them into that conversation um, and understanding how can we help each other um, is so important. Healthcare was one of the things that I wanted to implement in, in my business that we didn't have for me when I was coming up in the industry. And so um, that has its own um, <laughs> set of, of problems, right? Because one, it's expensive healthcare. Number it's two, everyone doesn't want it but everyone needs it. So finding the right program that fits for your company, I think is important as well. Um, And for us, it's lifestyle. So many times in the restaurant business, we work so hard. We're there day in, day out, holidays, blah, blah, blah. We're there. One of the things we do is a four-day work week. So you work four days, you're going to be off three days. You'll make your 40 hours in your four days and you get a chance to enjoy a little bit of life. And I think that's important. And it keeps people grounded and want to be a part of what we're doing. Tiffany competes as one of the culinary titans on the new show, Bobby's Triple Threat, and she's telling us all about it up next.
Well, as a force in the food world, it is no surprise that you were handpicked as one of three culinary titans for the new show, Bobby's Triple Threat. Can you share more about the show and what makes it unique from other competitions that we've seen in the past? Oh my gosh, everything is different. Like, <laughs> like everything you know about competition, it's not going to happen. And I think for, for me, it was the fact that that Bobby is just an icon, right? Like, of course. Oh my gosh, he is just an incredible chef, mentor, businessman, competitor. Like, so being able to one be in and just around him, I feel like you gain knowledge, but everyone gains knowledge that's around him. It's not just the Titans, right? And so I think that's cool, but. We are doing honest cooking. This is not about gimmicks. This is not about, you know, working around, figuring it out. This is, you're coming into the kitchen to just cook your butt off. And you are not going to have all the extras that you could have in, in many other things. This is about getting down in the kitchen. And that's how I like to cook. And so I, <laughs> I think that for some chefs, it's hard because sometimes we we rely on so many other machinery, right? And mm-hmm. so here it's taking off all those layers and getting down to the nitty ditty kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited to see it. And you are cooking alongside Michael Voltaggio, Brooke Williamson, who who complete this Titan trio. What was it like filming with, you know, your fellow chefs alongside these pros? Yes, I know Brooke and Michael very much, very well. And uh, even for us, this was so different. There were days where we were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. And uh, we would get in there and we would hold our head up high and get to cooking. And I think it was great because... Though we are cooking individually, it still felt like we are doing it together, right? And Mm -hmm. there is nothing like looking over at your team and seeing them cheering for you and and feeling that energy, right? And so I think that that was pretty cool, too, because both of them are amazing chefs, like literally just amazing. Yeah. And so Bobby isn't cooking in the in the show, right? He's just the one making the calls, selecting the ingredients. Um, we know how amazing he is at, at food competition shows. But how, how many curveballs is he throwing? What kind of game master is he in this scenario? <laughs> game master. Honestly, <laughs> the game would only be ingredients. Like okay. it's not, you know, some halfway in the middle of a cook, a thousand different things, swinging balls and, you know... <laughs> fish flying at you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's no, it's just real honest cooking and being able to be quick on your feet and being able to obviously cook quickly. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you don't have a lot of time to figure out what you're going to do. You just have to get in there and you just have to do it. No time for second guessing yourself. There's no time here. So you have these, you know, I guess challengers coming in and then picking which of the Titans they want to go up against. So without giving away any spoilers, can uh, viewers expect any upsets in this series? Oh, there are so many upsets. There is <laughs> so many surprises. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for everyone to see it. Heck, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be good, y'all. I mean, how does it feel? Like, what's it like having your reputation, your your well-earned clout on the line in, in this uh, competition? Oh, trust me. I felt every bit of that. Like, 
I haven't competed in so long. And honestly, I might've done one thing, but it's been at least 11 years. And so for me to walk back in this type of setting and do it every day, oh, I felt the pressure. And then you <laughs> feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to let down all the people who you know are rooting and supporting. And so you just don't want to do that. You don't want to let your business down. And Bobby, he was like, look, it's not like that. You just cook. Don't worry about the opposite part of it. Even if you lose, it's quite okay. The world is not going to end. Don't put that pressure on yourself. And I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> just go out and have fun with just it, right? Just go uh, have fun. I mean, like you said, though, you are no stranger to competing in food competitions. So do you have a personal strategy when it comes to these shows? Uh, one thing that most don't recognize or know is that I, even though I cook Southern, I didn't start cooking Southern. I didn't really embrace my Southern roots to probably about seven years ago. So, so much of my 25 year in this industry has been cooking different other types of cuisine. So I also travel a lot. I get out of country once a year and I study mm. abroad. I do it. I've done it since I was 18 years old. And wow. so that is something that I hold in my pocket. And most who see me, oh, she's going to cook Southern. And there's always a Southern in there, but you know, I'm coming with it from different ways. Watch out. <laughs> is is that why you think you're such a strong competitor because you have kind of like collected all of this knowledge, you know, throughout the years from different countries and cuisines? So Bobby came to the restaurant one day and he he was just blown away by all the different types of food, um, whether it was, you know, my African influence, whether it was the islands, whether it was down home Southern. And he was like, but it's not straightforward Southern. You have these nuances of Japanese cooking and Italian roots and all of these things. And so he is the first person to, to really just remind me of, of like how the fact that I got all of this and I can do this and that the arsenal is strong. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I appreciated that from him. <laughs> yeah, you earned, you earned your spot there for sure. Uh, do you have like a kryptonite ingredient or technique that um that really just might take you down oh no i can cook anything i'm a chef okay <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't give anything away for season two right <laughs> i can cook anything i don't want to give you, anybody any ideas <laughs> yeah because if you say it you know you know you're getting that one um when when you are part of these shows i mean what what do you kind of take away from them when filming is done Oh, the friendship is incredible. Whether we're competing, and it doesn't matter who I'm competing against, once you compete against someone, you you are bonded with them in, in some kind of way. And I think that that is beautiful, no matter win or lose, like you're, you're there, you enjoy it. You both are in a fire. No matter how many people are watching, there's only two people who've truly lived it. And so mm -hmm. you you two are just are, are in it. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I always learn something. I learn something about food, about culture every time I compete. And I'm always watching. I'm cooking and watching. I'm like, what do you got going on? <laughs> What's she doing? Okay. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I am so excited to check it out and um, and see see what you cook up on there. And we uh, we thank you so much for taking the time. We do have a few rapid fire questions that we're going to finish off with, and then we have one final question for you okay. here on Food Network Obsessed. All right, favorite menu item at your restaurant, Roots Chicken Shack. My gumbo. 
Oh, okay. That sounds oh, good. Well, that's Root Southern Table. Sorry. Root oh, Chicken okay. Shack. Root Chicken Shack would be my spicy bird chicken sandwich. Okay. So one of each. I like it. Uh, hidden talent. I, if you have one. <laughs> I, I love golf. I used to be oh, really okay. good. Haven't okay. played in a while, but yeah. Best career advice you've received? Be so good they can't deny you. Mm, love that. Your go-to relaxing activity? The spa. <laughs> yes. I like your style. <laughs> All right. If you get a z- assigned dessert for a dinner party, what are you bringing? Banana pudding. Mm. Favorite song at the moment? At the moment. <laughs> God did it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next vacation destination. Italy. Southern Italy. Ooh. Yeah. Is that it? Are you go like, is it scheduled or are you just want to go? Yeah, no, oh. it's scheduled. It will be, I'll be there in 40 days. Oh my goodness. I'm so jealous. That's amazing. Um, all right. What is something that is actually bigger in Texas? Everything. What are we talking about? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been so much fun. Our last question is something we ask everybody here on the podcast. Everybody has a different answer. So we want to know what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So we take us through your breakfast, your lunch, dinner, any snacks you want to throw in, dessert. You can time travel, spend as much money as you want. There are no rules. Calories don't count. Okay. In this question, we just want to know like your ideal food lineup for the day. Ooh. Okay. There's something about starting a day with pho. Mm. I love, I mean, most, if you've been to Vietnam, you know that like pho was eaten in the morning for breakfast. Mm -hmm. That's breakfast food. But like the chicken pho was amazing. And now I crave it often. So I want that in the morning. Chicken pho, dark black Are you going to go and you'll go to I'm going to Vietnam. Yes, yes, let's do it. Yes. Let's travel around. Money's no object. Um, Yeah, exactly. Money's no object. And you can you can like take a supersonic jet to, to, you know, jet around for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Lunch. What do you feel like, Tiff? Mm. (laughs) Ooh. Mm. Okay, okay. Let's go to Thailand. We already in Asia. So let's go go there. I want some papaya salad. Mm. Lao style would be lovely with the fermented crab. I want some sticky rice. I want some sausage. I want Mm. a little bit. Ooh, give me a little Tom Kai guy with a little chicken coconut soup. I'm feeling (laughs) real good right now. And then we're going to we're going to finish it with some mango and sticky rice because we must always have rice. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, no, that sounds delicious. All right. What's next? Oh, Dana. Mm. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for my mother now. Like if, mm. that, if it's going to be this, she is going to make me the most fabulous bowl of gumbo and um, she's going to bring it home. We're going to have some beautiful cornbread. She's going to make some sun tea with the mint and lemon and orange in there and let it sit out on the porch. Yeah. And it's going to be a family thing. So as much as I love the the gumbo, we're all going to be together with my family. We're going to enjoy it. I love that. Bringing, bringing this whole conversation full circle too. Um, Are you having dessert? Is, are we, are we adding something on? Oh, I've ate so much today. I don't think I need any dessert. (laughs) That's fine. That's totally fine. (laughs) Again, it's your day. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) No, that sounds like an absolutely perfect day and, and very much encapsulates who you are and, and, and who we've gotten to know over the course of this conversation. So thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit of your life. And we look forward to the new show. Thank you. 
Bobby's Triple Threat premieres Tuesday, September 27th at 9, 8 central on Food Network and streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.